Hello, welcome back for Pastor Merritt's Old Testament Overview Lesson number 35. We will be starting right at the top if you are using the outline. But before we begin, as is our custom, let us remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Before we get started today, I want to mention something that is from back a couple of lessons. I need to do it because I talked with Pastor Merritt today, and he and my wife listened to a lesson, and we're talking a great deal about Melchizedek, and you know, I mentioned then that it's important to know that he was not Christ, despite what some pastors were preaching in the pulpit. And some people get that because in the scriptures it says he had no mother, he had no father, no children, he wasn't married, and he had no lineage. And so people take that because there was no record of him prior, uh, that therefore he might be Christ. Well, taking the big picture, keep in mind that so very, very, very few people thousands of a percent, if, if that much, lineage was being recorded during that period. And so him not having a lineage in and of itself means absolutely nothing. But we thought it was important okay, that you recognize that because we'd see how some people could have questions of, you know, where he came from. We just don't know. So with that, Let's go ahead and get started with the lesson. Old Testament Overview, Lesson 35, Point 1. Last lesson, as part of our study of Genesis, Chapter 14, I taught the doctrine of extra-biblical revelation. When the lesson finished, we were about to study Genesis, Chapter 14, Verse 20, and it reads, And blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Point two, the victor became a giver. 2.1, the book of Hebrews sheds light on the title paid by the Jew Abram to the Gentile Melchizedek. 2.2, this verse demonstrates the superiority of the heavenly eternal priesthood of Christ over the earthly. Temporary priesthood of Aaron, which is Hebrews 7, verse 9 and 10, and they read, And as I may say so, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Achilzedek met him. 2.3 the New Testament says of Melchizedek, See how great he is? Abraham the patriarch gave him a tithe of the spoils. From Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through 7, and they read, This Melchizedek was king of Salem 
and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priest, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. 2.4. If Abram had given the king a present, he would have understood it as a gesture of courtesy between equals. This is not the case. As earlier mentioned, the story of Melchizedek teaches Israel and us how Christ could be a high priest and not come from the lineage of Levi. 2.5 Abram did not stand before Salem as an equal, but took the place of submission at once. The fact that he gave tithes is the acknowledgement of duty and prophecy. 2.6. Melchizedek came as a picture of Christ's future role as a high priest based on victory and not lineage. Thus, to illustrate, Abram gave tithes to a Gentile king who acquired his power by military victory and rulership over Ur and Salem, Jerusalem, a city of peace. Point three. Now let's look at the phrase found in verse 21. Give me the persons, take the goods. Genesis 14.21 reads, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. 3.1 The spoil belonged to Abram by right of conquest. In his attack, Abram had taken spoil the military custom of the day. Here is another temptation for Abram. 3.2. The king of Sodom attempts to bargain with Abram. He wants those captured by Abram, and in return he offers material possessions. It is possible the persons, a translation from Neshesh, literally those who breathe could mean both slaves and animals. 3.3 As Wycliffe has written in his commentary, In dealing with the king of Sodom, the patriarch refused to accept for himself the booty gained in the battle. He had waged war not to enrich himself, but to secure the release of Lot. He would not profit in any manner, but would see to it that his allies had a reasonable amount to care for their expenses. 3.4 
a Gentile king is offering material possessions to Abram. The great man of God refuses. He is not willing to violate God's protocol. Abram knows his victory was a product of God's grace and his vow to take no spoil other than that provided by God is his guiding principle. Genesis chapter 14 verse 24. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anur, Eskol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. 3.5. Abram did not try to make his companions live up to his standards. He was going to live by faith, trusting utterly in the Lord. In Abram's eyes, What they did was their business. 3.6. Christians should never expect others to live by standards other than their own. If Abram had prevented his commanders from accepting the spoils offered by the king of Sodom, he would have been out of line. Christian bullies often try to impose their standards on others. 3.7. Abram is not willing to bargain with the world. He wants only what God has provided. He will not impose his standards on those who fought beside him. 3.8. Abram knows the God of the universe is capable of providing for his servants. Abram has seen his glory and followed him from Ur to Haran and then to the promised land. 3.9. Abram is not willing to compromise. He will not share God's glory with the world. Now let's see what we can learn from chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 3. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Point one. Throughout his life, Abram manifested a strong faith in God. It was easy to let this trust shine forth in hours of triumph. Point two, when he remembered God's wondrous promises to him, he took comfort from the declaration that their fulfillment was to be in and through his seed. Genesis chapter 15 verses 4 through 7. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land 
to take possession of it. Point one, the Lord assured Abram that he was not to look to Eliezer of Damascus as his heir, but that a true son of his own begetting would be born to bring a rich fulfillment to every prediction. Point two, earlier we studied how in moments of peril and despair, Abram had believed in God's protection, God's fulfillment of his promises, and the unlimited number of his descendants. Point three, Abram was able to believe because he knew the one who had made the promises. He knew that Jehovah could be trusted, but now he seems to wonder how far. Point four, no child was in his home. Abram was questioning if God would yet fill the earth with his progenies. Point five, God, however, wants Abram to make doctrine more real than reality. Point six, Abram's faith was counted for righteousness, i.e., he was counted righteous on the basis of his faith, but like many believers today, doctrine didn't really matter. God's word was not more real than his wife's barren status. Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Point one. Abram is reluctant to just believe God's promise. Though a believer, he wants proof what God will do for him in time. Genesis chapter 15, verse 9 through 12. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17, And it came to pass that, when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace, and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Point one. In ancient times, men sometimes ratified an agreement or covenant by passing between the parts of a halved sacrificed animal. Point two. This cutting of the covenant was not in itself a sacrifice. Rather, it was a sacred ceremony by which the men declared their solemn purpose to keep the agreement. As you recall, we talked about this a couple of lessons ago, of why this is the Lord, and uh, this is not a, a mutual or bilateral agreement. This is a unilateral, meaning just one, uh, is going to be God, is going to be the one that makes the covenant. Point three, Pentecost has pointed out that in the instance recorded 
in Genesis chapter 15, verse 9 through 12, only one symbolic representative of the contracting parties, the lamp of fire, flaming torch, a symbol of Jehovah passed through. The term flaming fire is often used for the presence, protection, and judgment of Jehovah. Psalms chapter 104 verse 4 Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. Psalms chapter 105 verse 32 He gave Egypt hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 5 And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 3. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire, which devoureth round about. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 47. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, and it shall devour every green tree in thee, and every dry tree, the flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be burned therein. Hosea chapter 7 verse 6 For they have made ready their heart like an oven, whilst they lie in wait. There baketh sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ 3.1 Gideon's army was aided by the flaming torches carried in their jars as they put to rout the armies of the Midianites and the Amalekites. Judges, chapter 7, verse 15 to 25. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, 
just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets, they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shita toward Zareah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Point four. The flaming torch is a symbol of the singular presence of Jehovah passed between the halves of the animals. This emphasized the unilateral nature of the four covenants. Point five. In other words, the covenant in this case was to be kept from the Godward side alone. Only the Lord himself could fulfill its promises. Point six. In verses 18 to 21, God reiterates the Palestinian covenant. And they read, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, and the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephraims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Point seven. God had promised he would make Abram's descendants as numerous as the stars and give them a great land, stretching from the gates of Egypt to the mighty Euphrates. Let's take a look at the land promised. If you have the outline, you can see the chart depicted there. Point eight. Now let's see what we can learn from chapter 16. 16, verses 1 through 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, 
The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahoi Roy. It's still there, between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar born Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. That's the end of lesson number 35 of the Old Testament Overview. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to being with you the next time. If you are without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, remember, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So long.